every second and third Sunday in Advent, we encounter John the Baptist. Last Sunday, we got to meet John the Baptist once again, and today we get to hear more of John the Baptist. This is the second half of the reading that we had last Sunday. It's uh, almost as if the Episcopal Church can't uh, figure that Episcopalians can't take too much scripture at once, so we divide it into two parts, one for last Sunday, one for this Sunday. But it's really the same story. It's a follow-up on the particular story. And just as a reminder, last Sunday was, uh, he's proclaiming pro repentance, and I told you that repentance comes from the Greek metanoia, which means to change your mind, change the way that you think about things. And that's what repentance is all about. How do you see reality? How do you change your mind about reality? What would you like to change through your thoughts about the reality in which we live? And then the follow-up today is, of course, John the Baptist is specifically saying, well, listen, it's, uh, repentance is great, but let me tell you something, ethics is really important connected to repentance. And the second half of it is all about ethics, how we live our lives, how we choose to live our lives, how we choose to live this new mindset that we have decided to take upon ourselves. I don't know how many of you watched the, uh, have watched the show. I don't watch it anymore, of course. I've repented, but I used to watch Nip and Tuck. Did you ever watch Nip and Tuck? I know we're in the Episcopal Church, but if you've ever watched Nip and Tuck, you can nod to know that you are with me. It's, uh, and what I love about the show Nip and Tuck is that uh, at the very beginning, it's, a, it's about plastic surgery, by the way, how to fix your nose, how do you fix your, the rest of the parts of your body. And so at the very beginning, the doctor asked the person who comes up to, uh, to, 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 to have plastic surgery, and the, the doctor says, what do you not like about yourself? That's the first question. What do you not like about yourself? And then they go on to tell you about what they don't like about themselves. At the end of the show, they fix whatever it is that they don't like about themselves, but they're still all messed up which is the trying to fix uh, physically something that's spiritual. John the Baptist is talking about the spiritual correction here. And what he's inviting us to do is, is uh, what would you like to change about yourself in light of what you know about the kingdom of God? What would you like to change about yourself? What don't you like about yourself in light of what you know about the kingdom of God? And he begins on with, uh, really wouldn't be, he would be a terrible member of our usher corps here at St. John's Church. Suppose that you came on a Sunday morning and you greeted Robin, our assistant head usher that's gathered outside, and you said to Robin, good morning, Robin, and Robin said back to you, you brood of vipers. <laughs> How would you like that for church growth mechanisms here at St. John's Church? I suspect we would be really empty in a very short time. Nobody wants to hear that kind of a language. But that's what he uses, and then he encourages people, it's about ethics, it's about ethics. Life being what it is, we won't make a difference. Trying will make a difference even if we don't try. So you have to try to make things a little different. And I would suggest to you that there's the part in there that all the people who come to him say, well, then what shall we do? What shall we do? That's the big question. What shall we do about all these things? I suggest to you that there may be a couple of uh, things that John, the, one thing that John the Baptist is suggesting, and then I would say that in the epistle, St. Paul is also offering us some advice, inviting us to consider a, no, a new way of being. John the Baptist tells one person, if you have two coats, give one coat away. He tells a soldier, you know, don't uh, take any more than you need, etc. on down the line. I'm not a literalist. I've told you that before. I'm not a literalist, so I don't take the Bible literally. But I think it's very, very important. I think it's fundamental. But what's fundamental about the Bible in my book is what's the truth behind the story? What is the truth behind the story? And I would suggest to you that what John the Baptist is inviting us to consider is how do you become more generous? How do you act more generously? You want the world to be more generous? You've started. You can be more generous. I know what you're thinking. 
He's about to ask us to fill out a, uh, our pledge cards for our annual giving. He's going to ask us about uh, giving money for the capital camp, and Stuart's going to talk about that in just a second. I'm not. I'm going to talk about something greater, which is an attitude, an attitude in our lives. I don't know how many of you had a chance to watch NBC, CBS, or whatever the news report was uh, last Wednesday or Thursday. I forget which day it was, but I was really, really touched by a sense of generosity, and it was the Prime Minister of Canada who's greeting the Syrian refugees at whatever airport it was in Canada, and he says to them, he's greeting them there, remind you, the Prime Minister of Canada is greeting them, and he says to them, welcome to Canada, welcome to your new home. Welcome to Canada, welcome to your new home. And I thought to myself, what a generous, what a generous statement, what a generous attitude. And my second thought was this, what's wrong with us? What's wrong with us as a nation? My third thought was, are the Canadians better than we are? I don't mind competition. And if what the Canadians are doing is throwing a gauntlet in front of us saying, you can be better than what you are, I don't mind it because I think we can rise to the occasion. But I want to tell you, it's left me wondering, what's happened to us? Has our sense of generosity died, that attitude? And are the Canadians better than we are? I don't think they are. But it's a question that gets raised at this time of the year with a language around our country. But let's move on. And then we move over to St. Paul. St. Paul in the letter to the Philippians, remind, remi let me remind you that he is in jail when he writes this letter. And he writes the letter and he says to people, rejoice. Always, always rejoice. What shall we do? He says, rejoice. Now, we in the Episcopal Church don't know how to do that very well. Uh, we don't stand up. We don't hold our hands up. We don't shout hallelujah. As a matter of fact, I have a hard time getting you to nod every once in a while during the sermon, and that's all right. Maybe you left another church to be here because we don't ask you to do that. We'll talk about rejoicing. We'll consider rejoicing. We will study the etymology of rejoicing. Uh, but we don't know how to rejoice very well in the Episcopal Church, and that's all right. That's all right. But the invitation is, how do you rejoice in your life? How do you change from a sorrowful set, a mindset to a rejoiceful mindset? And I want to tell you that I think that that's one of the great invitations for all of us. How do you see your life? Life is a gift. All we have is today. God has promised nothing more than the day that you have today. That is the gift for you. And we're invited to rejoice today. Rejoice with whatever comes down the pike. Rejoice. Always, always rejoice in the Lord. And the second thing that St. Paul says to us is, uh, do not be anxious. Don't worry about anything. And I said, are you kidding me? Do not be anxious. A few days ago, I was meeting with a member of our church, and I said to her about an article that I had read in the uh, newspaper, the Washington Post, and I said, did you read the article in the Washington Post? And she responded, bad news yesterday, bad news today, bad news tomorrow. And I said to her, what are you, a prophet? <laughs> but that's the way that we see ourselves. W.H. Auden wrote a length book poem entitled The Age of Anxiety back in 1947, 1948. 
I never got through it, but I love the title. The Age of Anxiety. All ages have anxiety. Every age has anxiety. The question is, how are we going to live with anxiety? How are we going to live our lives rejoicing when we know that there are a lot of things to worry about? I want to suggest to you something for your consideration about anxiety. I want to suggest to you that you consider that one of the great gifts that we have, and this is where the rock of our foundation is, the rock of my foundation is when I can proclaim that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah. And if I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that's where I ground myself. And there is no anxiety and there is nothing that can move me from that because God has promised to be with me, not only today, but throughout the end of the ages. And the presence of God will relieve my anxiety. I think that's what Paul is inviting us to do. Don't worry about things. Be calm. Don't be anxious. Some time ago, I read a lot of novels about seafaring captains. I used to read all these things about the ships and all that kind of stuff. Loved those novels. And I'll tell you one thing about every one of those novels. There was always a hero in the novel. And the hero in the novel was when storms came along and when things started to happen bad in the ship and so on, the, the protagonist would stay to the task. He wouldn't run around the ship saying, it's terrible, it's terrible, help, help, help. He would do something. And people would rally around that person because he was calm. Because he didn't live in an age of anxiety. He wasn't worried and acted likewise. The third thing that St. Paul suggests for us is to be grateful, gratitude. That's Thanksgiving Day. That's a Thanksgiving Day sermon, so I won't preach it today. But if you want to hear the Thanksgiving Day sermon, go to our website. It's in there. But I would suggest a couple of things to you. As I suggested to them, that gratitude is a learned action. We're not born grateful. I think it's learned behavior. And we have to practice it over and over and over. For all of us, when we first got married, we told our spouses, I love you. The important thing after you're married is to be able to say to your spouse day in and day out as a remembrance, I love you every day. I love you today. The next day, I love you. I love you. I finish every day by telling my wife, I love you, to remind myself that that's an important thing to do. And likewise, it is with gratitude. There's a very important book, a wonderful book. It's written by a guy named John Kralik. It's entitled 365 Thank Yous for the Year. And it's a book that he wrote about uh, the side he was, his life was down in the doldrums. He couldn't stand it anymore. The business was going bad. His wife had divorced him, etc. Things were looking very, very dark. And he took upon himself writing a thank you note to somebody for 365 days of the year. And he said, you know, after the first few days, he ran out of things to be grateful for. So he had to think about what was he going to be grateful for that particular day. And he said, in writing a note every day of gratitude, his life changed. And he understood. He understood himself much better than he did before writing those notes 365 days out of the year. 360, get the book, John Kralik, great little book. The other great little book is written by Oliver Sacks. It's called Gratitude. It's 46 pages long. Let me tell you, you can read it in one sitting. And that book, Gratitude, is a wonderful book because a man is terminally ill with cancer. 
And then he says, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be a human being in this world, a sentient human being, enjoying being part of our society, being part of this world, grateful for every day. It's a great, great book. And I would encourage you during the season of Advent, if you're thinking that you need to be more grateful, take it upon yourself to read that book. It's a great discipline in preparation for the rebirth of hope on Christmas Day. And then St. Paul invites us, what shall we do? He says, pray, pray. What shall we do? Pray. There's been a lot of uh, going back and forth lately about uh, you're in my thoughts on prayers. Have you read about this? Uh, I think it was the New York Daily News after, one, after the San Bernardino massacre. Uh, politicians, of course, tweeted out, my thoughts are prayer and prayers are with you. And they said, well, you need more than that. How about acting or something along those lines? And I agreed with the New York Daily News. But I would never, ever doubt or denigrate anybody that says, my thoughts and prayers are with you. Who are we to judge? Who are we to judge that the politicians aren't really thinking and praying about those people? I want to tell you this, that prayer is first and foremost relationship. It's relationship with God and it's relationship with each other. I take prayer very, very seriously because of that. I have a friend with whom I play tennis every Monday morning at 11 o'clock. His name is David. And David and I, and I whack away at the tennis ball for an hour and a half every Monday morning. And then after we finish, we sit down and solve all the problems of the world. He's a great friend. So two weeks ago, I knew that his daughter was expecting a child. And I sat down and said, has your daughter given birth to the child? And he said, yes, he names the child. And he said, but he has, I think it's called charge syndrome. The baby has charge syndrome. I'm not really sure what all that is, but I read up on it. Serious, serious stuff. So David says, I'm going to be going to Boston to be with my daughter and my son-in-law and we're going to be there for a couple of weeks seeing whatever we can do. I want to tell you this. Uh, prayer, if you can't be there, prayer is how you stand in present with somebody when people are in trouble. Prayers are needed for people when they're going through a very tough time in life. I can tell you this. I can't be in Boston with David, my good friend. But I can also tell you this. There hasn't been a day that goes by that I don't think about David, I don't think about his daughter, I don't think about his grandson, and I pray for David, and I pray for his daughter, and I pray for his grandson. And that's my way of being present with David. As it is every time that we offer to somebody to pray for them. But be serious about it. Don't just cast it off as a way to... Uh, say something that seems correct. Don't be beige. Do it. Pray for them. Think about them. Be present for them. It's the greatest gift that we can give anyone in our society. What shall we do? The people ask John the Baptist. I suggest to you today you consider some of these things as you change your mind about how you want to live your life. How can we be more generous in our life? How can we rejoice more greatly in our life? 
How can we cast our worries away to the rock of our foundation, Jesus the Christ? How can we possibly be more grateful for this great life that God has given us? And how can we be more prayerful that we may be closer to God and to all those around us? Amen. Thank you.